ready for your host? Here she goes. Welcome to Diary of a Botox Bitch Podcast. Oh man, I can't get enough of your voice. Keep on talking. Hi, I'm Dr. Botox, Dr. Danielle Mark Collins, and we're coming to you live from downtown Beverly Hills on my podcast that we call Diary of a Botox Bitch. Yes, I'm Dr. Botox, an Irish Botox doctor and Irish reality TV star turned stand-up comedian. I am recording this podcast down in our studio in Manhattan Beach before I head back up to Sunset to Hollywood because this evening I will be performing at the world famous comedy store. I also love the comedy store in La Jolla. Driving down to San Diego is great fun. I also, I love the Laugh Factory. I love the improv. I love the Ice House in Pasadena. And the last episode talked all about the time that I met Johnny Buss and didn't know who he was and was cracking all my little bits about the Lakers thinking I was hilarious. And he was laughing. Everyone else was laughing a lot louder. Turns out the joke was on me. That happens all the time though regularly. You know, I was recently talking to John Hamm and then about 10 minutes and realised it was John Hamm. And then I was like, oh, you're very good looking in real life. Like, it's so embarrassing. Just like, like, I need to shut up. I also talk about the fact that one of the biggest comedians over here is Mark Maron. He tours in Ireland, you guys. So he will be, I gave him a birthday card. I also didn't know who he was. I talked about that in the last pod episode and I probably need to confess to him. I need to tell him what I thought the first time I saw him. So that's in my last episode. So listen to that episode eight. And Mark Maron is a great touring comic. He's a huge comic over here. And hopefully he'll roll back to Ireland and you guys should all go and see him. I think he's going back next year. So I think as well with anything that you do in life, it is important to have a plan of action. So a lot of people have asked me how I how come I'm just doing comedy the last year or two. The reality of the fact is I started comedy 10 years ago. I did stand up comedy in Brighton. It was right before I did Celebrity Big Brother, the first, when, the, when I did Celebrity Big Brother. So the first time I did stand-up comedy was about 10 years ago and I did three minutes in Brighton. I loved it, but I was also terrified of it. I dipped in a little bit. Then I kind of was very well known for the Real Housewives of Ireland. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to put myself out there. It's too embarrassing to be bombing on stage and people would know who you are. So then when I first came to America five or six years ago, I used to jump up on stage whenever I was here. I was also going through the Groundlings program, which is very famous. You know, a lot of people have gone through that, have gone on and done very well, Melissa McCarthy and whatnot. And I also very quickly realised that I had an accent, so they weren't going to cast me in a half hour sitcom, be it multi-cam or single cam. I also spent $5,000 or more trying to learn how to do an American accent. That was also a waste of time. The only thing I can say is, water. So if I need a cup of water, that's what I'll say. Other than that, I'm still on the phone to the Bank of America trying to do an American accent. Everyone's laughing. For some reason, the Bank of America teleprompter, or not the Bank of, it's not a teleprompter, the Autobot thing can understand my friend's 87-year-old auntie from India, but can't understand my Irish accent. So then I find myself saying, speak to representative. But I very quickly realised if I wanted to be in a sitcom, the best way for me to do it would be to do comedy. I've always had all my life kind of a fear of public speaking. So I wanted to, again, typical everything Danielle does, rather than just do it half arsed, I'm going to just jump off the cliff fearless. I'm going to just jump off two feet first for the most part. But in the case of comedy, I've kind of dipped in and dipped out for about 10 years. I decided the last 18 months to get very serious about matters and I have worked grinding it out. But I'm going to tell you the path a little bit of if you're in Ireland, if you're in England, or if you're in Canada or America, I'm going to tell you the different paths that you can take. Because if you really are passionate about comedy, you need to probably move from your hometown. That's the first thing. So in Ireland, I also did a little comedy course. I remember years ago, the Gady School of Acting. I had done all the acting there. I had done Groundlings. I had done the Actors Comedy Studio here in West Hollywood. I had done thousands of hours. I'd done Margie Haber. You know, I'm very, 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 very well qualified as an actor. And again, I would go up to read for the part of Auntie who was saving her three nieces 
from a burning building and everyone would be laughing. I was like, what's so funny? They're like, we just don't see you as a dramatic actor. I was like, OK, that's lovely. And again, I am available for commercials. I would love to do commercials. I have a real passion. Recently, after opening my car door, a gentleman drove up and took my car door fucking off my car door. His name was Fari Barry. Turns out he wasn't very fucking sorry. So I have a real passion, such a passion for selling auto insurance. And again, I'd be particularly passionate about selling this across all states in America, i.e. a nationwide commercial. I feel I would like to spread the word of the importance of auto insurance in a very large, basically, you want to see the money they get paid over here for doing a commercial. I kid you not. So I thought if I do stand-up comedy, I can get into commercials. I'll also be able to get into sitcoms. Then we had the pandemic, the world shut down, everything opened back up again. Then we've had the WGA, the Writers Guild of America strike. We've had SAG-AFTRA strike. I'm SAG eligible. It's been a bit of a fucking nightmare. But the one thing that hasn't been a nightmare is stand-up comedy. And I do really feel this. It's so funny when you're on the right path, the doors just open. You just get a groove. You know, I, I did very well 12 years ago. I had teeth whitening clinics. We built them up. We sold them. Again, I was never really, how do I say it? It was always a hard grind. It was a real grind. And sometimes I feel like I'm so strong as a person that even if the door is closed, I can kick it down. And I've done that before where I've gone through certain doors I've entered and then realized, you know, a couple of years in, I don't really want to be there or it wasn't really for me. Even when I had my Botox clinic, it was a lot, you know, patient management, staff management. They do say the best business is a business that has no staff and no customers. And lo and behold, comedy is a little bit like that in terms of, yes, you sell tickets, but no one's going to... You know, and you could have you could have a team of people. Of course, you need a te- team of people around you. But also, if, if everybody left and walked out, you could still get on stage. All you actually need is a microphone. You could tidy up the rest of the stuff in the morning. So they do say the best business. And if anyone's running a business or is an entrepreneur, the best business is a business model with no fucking customers and no staff. So stand-up comedy is a little bit like that. I was the opposite. I had at one stage a dental clinic as well because I'm dual qualified as a DDS. And it was just a nightmare to run. All of this was... It was a lot. And then when I went off and did Celebrity Big Brother in the UK, I was able to switch off for six weeks. But then I came out and I realized I hadn't earned any money. There's no passive income in any of that, you know, whereas if you have podcasts and you have skincare brands and and also I had some skin cancer. And I talk about that in in the podcast in the earlier episodes. And I talk about it a lot on TikToks when we do TikTok lives and when I'm discussing my different products, I'll do a get ready with me. And a really big thing I've done this week is actually get ready with me with no makeup on. So I haven't covered my scars. I have a huge scar on my forehead from a a basal cell carcinoma in situ. I have one in my medial canthus. That's the area just between your top of your nose and your eye. I did a skin graft. And again, I did, I've done two get ready with me with no makeup on, just showing my actual skincare routine, because I think it's just important to show the products that I use. And again, my skin was not always great. I had to use FUDEX and my skin barrier was broken. It was a real case of clinician heal thyself. And then I formulated products for the first time six years ago. Then at the start of the pandemic, I had another squamous cell carcinoma in situ. I had was waiting on my green card. I had an OMB visa. I had a combo card. But at the time, you couldn't, the borders were closed. So you could only travel with a green card. You couldn't travel with a combo work travel card, which typically means typically if you're waiting for a green card after no one be visa, you'll be stuck on US soil for three to four months. In this case, because of the pandemic, I got stuck here for 16 months. So yeah, I was formulating products. It was a real case of clinician heal thyself. And now I'm pretty passionate about all my skincare products. And in fact, this podcast, Diary of a Botox Bitch, is spilling all the tea and all things reality TV. Obviously, talk a lot about my stand-up comedy. And I also talk about skincare. I talk about different questions that come in on episode six. We talked a lot about migraine treatment using Botox because a lot of comedians actually get migraines. I didn't realize that, but it's quite common. I personally, when I get nervous, 
nervous about stuff or stuff upsetting me. I, I have it all in my tummy. I get knots in my tummy. You know, funny enough, three or four months ago, I was with, I had to pop into the ER in Cedar Sinai and I break the glass. So you can Google what that is. Anyway, I went in there and I was saying to the doctor there, I was, I was actually seen by the head of ER. He was so nice. And I was like, oh, it's just, I said, it's just awful that I've, you know, I either get, I'll get a flare up of diverticulitis or whatever. It's it just tummy and knots. And he said, look, that's just where you hold your stress. And it made me realize it gave me peace, actually, because then friends of mine are like they get migraines. I think I'd rather get a migraine because you could lash in 60 units, 50 to 60 units of Botox into your frontalis muscle and get rid of it. But hey, ho, what can you do? So, yes, we all deal with things in different ways. I think it's also important to realize I'm on the journey for comedy. It's a real grind. I didn't look for any passes. I have TV credits from overseas, but I wasn't looking for a quick pass. I've rolled up my sleeves. I've grinded it out more than anyone I know. And I'm not to say anyone's working harder or less, but I know, you know, I've launched three skincare brands, you know, this last quarter. This week, I'm on a couple of the big stages here. Then in the meantime, you know, we're editing podcasts. I've actually taken over the editing of the last couple of episodes because I was so annoyed by certain things I was saying. I was just saying, but um, and it was very annoying, I'm sure, for the editor in the episode one to edit out 55 million of those. So in the last episode, episode eight, I only had three of them. It also tightens me up as well for when I'm on stage. Funny enough, if I'm on stage, the stakes are high. So I'll never say, but um, I'm always very concise. You know, I have my different routine and I'll test out the audience and decide what we're going to go with a different joke. For example, it's 7pm here. I'm on stage at 10.30pm this evening. World famous comedy store up on Sunset. And again, I've got another episode of the podcast to tape. And the reason being is because the cycle for uploading podcast generally the 6th of each month. So I've got to use up certain windows to get this work done. So it's just fallen that today on a Sunday, it's a super busy day. I'm going on stage. We're taping a lot of the episodes for the first 10 episodes of Diary of a Botox Switch. But yes, the journey for stand-up comedy is different in different countries. People were asking about this. In Ireland, there's no real open mic. I did a little course at the Gaiety, I think about 11 years ago. It was appalling. The teacher was creepy and hitting on everybody. Not that's not a reflection on the Gaiety School of Acting. It was just, it was a guy. Comedians can be a bit weird. They're either very super healed or they're super not healed. There's kind of rarely anything in between. So you either come across really great humans or people who are not so great. And again, this brings me to the point, you are the sum of the five people you hang around with. So if you hang around with four alcoholics, you will be the fifth. If you hang around with four millionaires, you will be the fifth. If you hang around with four billionaires, you will be the fifth. If you can't find good people to hang around, be very comfortable with hanging around with yourself. Be your own best friend. Be your own biggest cheerleader. Something else that comes up as well. People are like, oh, so-and-so is selfish. Be selfish. Be selfish. Be selfish about what you want out of your life. Know what you want. Don't compromise. People always ask me, oh, have you got a man in your life? Are you married? Oh, God, Jesus fucking Christ, spare me. If I had a man in my life, do you think I'd have done all the things that I've done? Do you think I'd be doing all the things that I'm doing? No. I mean, maybe when I've done all the things I want to do, have someone annoy me snoring and keeping me from sleep and good rest so that I can perform well the next day, maybe that time will come. I don't know. But you are the sum of the people you surround yourself with. You've got to be your own best friend got to be your own best friend. A couple of times a day, I'll give myself a big hug and tell myself how fabulous I am. I'm also my biggest cheerleader. I am my own biggest fucking cheerleader. I've got so good at this that any noise or any negativity or any comments or anything around me, I literally, what other people think of me is none of my business. It's funny, I've been doing a lot of TikTok lives recently and occasionally you get someone on a little keyboard warrior. I'm like, whatever. I just feel bad for them that they want to spend eight or 10 minutes of their life. It's very rare to be fair because I've kind of, 
quite a core group of people who've watched me do The Real Housewives back in Ireland who've watched me do Celebrity Big Brother. You know, they've been kind of following me on and off for 10 or 12 years. I've also had a quiet few years because I sold my Botox clinic and I came over here. Well, I still have my core Botox clinic, which is my own personal one, but I sold the chain of Botox clinics and I came over here and relaxed and chilled out. Took a lot of acting classes, groundlings, did comedy. I've had the last five or six years to develop privately as a comedian in privacy. No one knew who I was. It's only really this year, actually, since January, February, March, I've actually owned up to the fact that I've got a load of TV credits from across the pond. And I must say the comedian community have been very supportive and said, no, 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 you're good, girl. Talk about that stuff on stage. Walk in your glory. And so, yeah, you've got to be your own biggest cheerleader, especially in comedy. It's pretty ruthless. It's pretty ruthless for women as well, for sure. And again, you are the sum of the people that you surround yourself with. And you, if you don't have good people, just be on your own, learn to be your own best friend. Two or three times a day, I'll give myself a huge hug and just tell myself how good I am. And it's not in a, it's not in a cheesy way. It's in a, a selfish way. It's in a, I don't listen to any of the noise around. I know exactly what I want. I know when I want it. And again, you're very welcome to join me for the ride. But also if you get in my way, once I'll give you a pass, if you get in, in my way twice, I will run you over. I don't care. Be selfish. Especially as women, we're told, oh, she's so nice. They're so kind. They're so sweet. Boring. Be selfish. Be selfish. And as well as that, to that effect, before you can put a mask on somebody else, you have to have your own mask on yourself and be oxygenated and have your own flow of oxygen or your money or your financial stability or whatever. It's so women are meant to be so like not selfish. Men are so selfish. They do whatever the fuck they want, whenever the fuck they want. I am all about being selfish. I wake up in the morning, there's two people that I want to know are very well and good, cared for. And other than that, the world could be falling around me and I'm like, whatever. I will stay with my eye on the game, the end game for that day. And I won't deviate. I don't want to listen to the noise. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to fucking know. I find myself as well. People get into text messages with me. Firstly, no one has my phone number. No one has access to me. People sometimes come at me kind of a cold, cold approach, you know, like cold email or, you know, um, like I ain't the fucking one. Don't come out without a prior, you know, permission to enter into my world. I'm really fucking selfish about my boundaries. I make no apology. Be it family, be it friend. Pass out my number. You're going to get cut from my life. I am boundaried up to fuck and I'm selfish as fuck. And I'm focused on exactly what Danielle wants. I'm focused on what Danielle wants and when she wants it. And I really honestly have to stress the joy that you get to a certain age in your life where you're just kind of done with all the BS. You're done with the guilt or the senses of the duties of care or any of that. I just don't have any of that. My duty of care is to Danielle to be my best friend, facilitating me reaching my potential. Because this is not a dress rehearsal. And when it's, when all is said and done, we all end up six feet under. No one's coming out of here alive. So you may as well do what the fuck you want to do when you want to do it. Of course, don't hurt people along the way. But you also, as we're taught to be nurturing and even like, look at the, the verbs we use and the pronouns all the time. His and hers. Why not hers and him? I'm just saying, like, it's not that big a deal. King and queen. Why not queen and king? You know, man and woman. Why not woman and man? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I know there's like lots of different movements, but like, why do we say his and hers? Why don't we say hers and his? Why do we say king and queen? Why don't we say queen and king? I'm just saying, like, I'm just over it. And I just, the other problem as well, if, if you have somebody who is very astute, I decode everybody in about two seconds. I can read people. I can read a room pretty well. I will say one thing I notice when I'm talking on a, here's the difference. If you're talking one-on-one -on -one to a person or, you know, it's me talking to two people, I can read, I can decode, I can take the conversation wherever I want to take it. And I want to be able to do that on stage because in a, on, a, in, on a comedy stage, you're doing that. You want it to be a conversation, not a presentation. But also you can't read 60 people or 200 people. Well, certainly as you're coming up through the ranks, I'm not doing this 22 years like some of the, the greats I am, but way, way shorter in my time frame of how long I'm doing it. So I'm I'm a couple of years in, but certainly I keep saying to myself, I have this conversation when it comes to stand-up comedy that I want to be able to read a room the same quick way I can read a human being. I can read someone in 
about 2.5 seconds. I can tell if they're a people pleaser. I can tell if they're, I, it's scary what I can tell, but I can basically read people. There are certain people who will mask who they are, but again, it doesn't take long to find out. And I don't mean by their actions. I can just read people. And again, I'd love to be on stage able to read 200 people in a room at the same time, because obviously there's so many different people. You can't read everybody, but I'm pretty sure that you can read a room. But it's easier said than done because you're obviously telling jokes at the same time and whatnot. But I do feel like it's very important to your own biggest cheerleader. I think it's very important to you as a woman not apologize for taking what you want. Also within the comedic community, strange things happen. Guys, will hit on you, which I find to be remarkable because there's very little that they're going to bring into my life. And I just, I don't know, I can't work it out with American men. Are they hitting on you just because they're kind of shooting their shot, which I think, and it doesn't seem to bother them. You can be like, no thanks. But I find it remarkable that certain men would make an approach to certain women or someone like me, I feel like. Like I said, unless a man is a G650, I don't mean this in a bad way, but there's very little that a man could offer me in my life at this point in time. So unless they have something exceptional or they're exceptionally funny or, you know, I just... Your average Joe, jog along Joe, is really not going to do anything for me. And again, it comes back to the sort of plan, which is you are the some of the people you hang out with. So even I feel like doing open mics, as we progress as comics, we do a lot of open mics, which are pretty miserable. Again, they're full of guys, mostly. It's going to be 90% guys and they get up there and they tell dick jokes. And you're like, this is so pathetic. You're such a fucking loser. The really bad ones will be very hacky. They'll take the really bad open micers will talk about, you know, they'll do pedo jokes. They'll do rape jokes. I mean, just appalling. And But every man gets up and seems to have this desire to talk about their penis. It's quite remarkable. It's really just embarrassing for them. And again, you have to be nice and you don't say anything. It's meant to be a supportive environment. What is supportive about open mics with a room full of guys talking about their penis and you're the only girl? I don't know. But we have to kind of go through that. So if you're training as a uh, comedian, you will go through the open mic route. In Ireland, there are no open mics. In England, there are more open mics. But again, they'd be very specific. You'd have to choose Tuesday of next week. I know if I drive 10 miles, there will be an open mic in such and such a place. In LA, there is 10 open mics every day within five miles of where I live. And each of those open mics has 10 different slots. So you could be starting at 12 noon, one, two, you could do 12 open mics a day. So we all do a real grind of doing a lot of open mics. It is a tough road. And again, sometimes again, it circles back to you or the sum of the five people you're hanging out with. So if you're an open micer and you work out your material, it's also hard to gauge your material because also if they kind of know who you are, you're getting on quicker or moving along faster and up through the ranks quicker than they are, they'll sit there with a face on. I actually put my readers on so I don't actually see any of the other people in an open mic. And I see Dion Cole does this. He gets up on stage, even if he gets up at, if he gets up at one of the big comedy clubs, he'll bring his phone and he'll read stuff out and he'll kind of know what he's doing. So I kind of do this. I kind of get up, I put my readers on so then I can't see anybody. Because also as well as that, if a joke gets a big laugh at an open mic, you know it's going to be a real hit at an ordinary audience. If it doesn't get any laugh, three times you're meant to drop the joke but I again feel like sometimes open micers can be just weird so you really need to try it in front of a real audience which is why now at the weekends I tr I tend to try and you know go up on the big stages but also I go to the valley which is really they it's like in sailing they say this that the big boat gives the glory and the small boat makes the sailor so I'll always try and go to the valley because at least you can get up and do a big opening joke you can do a big closer and in between you can work out you know a little bit of new material not brand new but stuff that you're still working on because if you're trying to work at stuff in open mic rooms honestly a lot of people are just there they're maybe not working they're not real go-getters. And again, I feel like you have to be careful of the energy that you surround yourself with. You are the sum of the five people. So if you spend two hours in a room with people who have been smoking weed since noon, they're getting up and shit talking, telling a few jokes, telling dick jokes. I really don't feel like that's energy that I want to be around or absorb because I really feel like you want to be around the, the ballers. So I think the best thing to do is if you're in a town like LA, go to all the big venues, 
once you're well known and you're established and you've you've performed at those clubs a few times, you can, you know, it's a big jump to get up to that stage. I get it. I do understand. But then you get to go and you get to hang out. You get to watch the best of the best. And we have this apprenticeship here that we go through. It's an unofficial apprenticeship. You earn your stripes, you roll up your sleeves, you work very hard, you watch the best of the best, which is why at certain times when all is said and done, you know, I will give, you know, I gave Tiffany Haddish a little gift of my triple peptide eye cream. I don't want anything from her. I just was so mesmerized by the fact that she got up at the Laugh Factory one Monday night, was so kind, performed for everybody. When you're performing in your home clubs, you're performing in your hometown, you're not getting paid. It's like when the comics go out and tour, they could do a 4,000 seating arena. The tickets are 100 bucks. You know, they're going to make $400,000 a night. Like it's big. It's a big business over here. But when they're working at the material at their home clubs, you know, you could be a paid regular at one of the comedy clubs. But again, you're getting 100 bucks, 125 bucks, you know, for going up on stage. Typically, this evening, I might get 50 bucks, I might get 75 bucks. Sometimes you drive down to San Diego, you get 75 bucks, but the gas was 75 bucks, you know, or the petrol, as we say in Ireland. So there's definitely a whole... What I'll say is if you're going to do stand-up comedy, if you're in Ireland or England, if you're in Ireland, probably go to the UK, go to London, go to Brighton. Brighton has a huge, a huge comedy scene. Look up Jill Edwards, do her course. If you're in LA and you're female, I feel like there's the the best person to train with is Lisa Sunstead, pretty funny woman. She is a badass. She's been running the female comics in this town for 25 years. She's a tough cookie, heart of gold. I love her with all my heart. I do her shows regularly. It's such a blessing to come up through the alumni with her, with other girls. You know, I did her show on Monday. The girl who's hosting, I know that in two or three years, she will have probably moved up through the ranks and have her own special. And then as I come up, I'd like to be saying, hey, Lisa, I'll host for you. Pretty Funny Women is a huge alumni. And then there's certain other producers that, again, will produce shows that might be this evening. I'm doing a show. It's probably half men, half women. And again, there's certain shows that you just know are the next pip stop for you, if that makes sense. They're the next the next big milestone, you know, and and you'll do certain clubs, you'll do one room and then before you know it, you're up on the next, the bigger room and it kind of happens overnight. If you were to say to me five years ago that you would be jumping up on stage and doing a room of 250 people up in Sunset in Hollywood, I would be like, get, like shut the front door. And now it happens regularly and I just love and I enjoy every minute of it. I always say I want to enjoy the journey more and I definitely do, but I'm also launching skincare. I've got my podcast, Diary of a Botox Bitch. I've got my book, Diary of a Botox Bitch, coming out next year. So juggling a lot, but the biggest joy of my life by far is stand-up comedy. If you are in LA, I would say, if you're a female, get into the female producers' shows. I would say also do the open mics. You'll meet more open micers. You'll you'll get the plug-in of who's doing what, where and when and whatnot. Also, there's open auditions at all the comedy clubs. Don't go to those until you're about two years in. Do not go to those. Turn up and be like, hey, at the improv, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday with the booker. Uh, it will be ridiculous unless you have a tight three minutes, which comes back to the fact that the first time I was on stage, I did three minutes in Brighton. And it was so funny. I'd say that was the slowest three minutes of my life. I think I had like four jokes in it. Now it's easier for me to do eight, 10, 12 minutes than it is for me to do five minutes. The difference being five minutes you need to get on stage. You just need to hit the ground rolling. It needs to be bop, 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 bouncing the ball along. Very, very tight. Three minutes is even tighter. Two minutes is just a misery to do. But you've got to do them sometimes for auditions and live auditions. You'll be doing your two minute auditions or three minute auditions at the big clubs. You'll be doing it in front of a live audience, certain clubs as well. They have other comics, certain clubs as well. They'll do the first round and then they'll fill up the room with 200 people who've been lining up outside to see potluck. So it's a real, it's a lot. But there's no better place. I know in New York, people do a lot of comics and there's a big comedy scene there. I get it. But it would be miserable 
going on the subway, going around in freezing temperatures, going from one open mic to the other. We get to jump in our car, cruise between, you know, I tend to double up. I'll do two hours. I don't do as many open mics this year as I would have done last year, but I will do two mics in one venue back to back and I'll try it two different material Two, you know, I'll try it two different five minute sets. For writing five minutes, it could take you five weeks to write a tight five minutes. It could take you five months. It is no easy feat. It's something that you'll be doing the rest of your life. I want to be 80, 90 and getting on stage. I'm obsessed with it. People say, are you dating? Are you in love? Yes, I'm in love with stand-up comedy. I'm obsessed. I'm possessed. So that's me, Dr. Botox, on my podcast, Diary of a Botox Bitch. We are coming to you live from downtown Beverly Hills. And also a huge thank you to our sponsors, DermaFaceMD.com and AerospaceMD.com with their oxygenating, moisturizing, facial moisturizer. Beautiful products, a thousand X hyaluronic serum for hydrating the face. It can be sealed in with the oxygenating moisturizer. So a huge thanks to our sponsors, Dermaface MD, Aerospace MD. I am off to the comedy store to perform at the world famous comedy store. If you're in Los Angeles, pull up. That's it from me, Dr. Botox, spilling the tea on all things reality TV, stand up comedy scene in LA, and also talking all things skincare, Botox in the section of the show that I call Botox. Credit for that name has to be given to the entire team at the comedy store in La Jolla. I was up on stage there recently. And I came down, they said, if you've got a podcast, you need to call it Botox. And I said, guys, we're just about to drop the first four episodes of Diary of a Botox Bitch. So what we've done is all the branding was done. And I do like Diary of a Botox Bitch. It's the same name as my book. So in the middle of it, we do a section called Botox, which is all things Botox filler. We didn't get to that section today because we were having a chat about comedy. If you have a friend or family member who wants to do stand up comedy, forward this to them. This episode is great and it has lots of resources in it and especially for female comics. That's it from me. I know it's exactly what you've been waiting for. So let's do this. Welcome to the segment we call Bow Talks. Let's talk all things Botox, filler, and skincare. 